Good morning. Last week, uh, we get to see Paul talk a young man to sleep. And a short time after that, he falls to his death. What's amazing about the story is not how long Paul can talk, but the fact that through him, God's power worked out a miracle in bringing the young man back to life. We also got to see something significant about Paul's ministry, his great ability to encourage believers, to encourage the church to press on in Christ. I'm grateful for that because his example provides an example for so many leaders in our church today. And I got to experience it this week, the encouragement from many believers, from many leaders. I'm grateful. As we enter this second part of Acts chapter 20, we see Paul finishing up his third missionary journey. In the 24 years since he gave his life to Christ in Acts chapter 9, he's about two and a half weeks from completing this third missionary journey that lasted about five years, three of which he spent in Ephesus. Actually, Ephesus, what I see is the longest, uh, the place that he spent the longest amount of time in any of his three missionary journeys. At this point, Paul is also about 10 years from giving his life for the sake of the gospel. Paul lands in Miletus in Asia, we read, uh, as a strategic plan so that he doesn't have to spend time in Asia. On the surface, that seems odd. He's in Asia and he's trying not to spend time in Asia. But the key point here is that Paul built such deep relationships in Ephesus that if he were to have landed there, Paul would have had that really long goodbye and he wouldn't have made it to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Once he arrives, he calls for the leaders of Ephesus the elders of the church to come to him to say his last goodbyes and to give them the last direction as their leader. As I look at the passage that we'll explore today, uh, I see a central message that bubbles up from the text. That's Paul's love and compassion for the people of the church, a love that uh, is evidenced by his ministry to them. And that love comes from a gift that was given to him, the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So before we enter the text, please pray with me. Lord, we come before you and we give you praise for examples like Paul uh, that we can learn by. And Lord, I hope uh, follow as we walk in faith Lord, I pray that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit, that you would lead me as I speak. Father, that you would open the hearts of everyone here so that your truth would be revealed to each one of us. I pray, Lord God, that um, through it, that this would uh, drive a response, a response of obedience to you. And Lord, in the end, above all things, that your name would be glorified. And I pray this right now in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, 
our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Today we're going to be going into Acts chapter 7, uh, 20, excuse me, 17 through 38. So we'll end uh, the, the chapter of Acts. It's broken up into five primary sections uh, with two bookends and, and three markers in the middle. The first one is yourself, you yourselves know, followed by and now, and now, and now, and closed with you yourself know. That's the entire message. It really helps, though, for me to break down this passage because there's a lot in here. And for me, it helps to break down what it is that Paul is saying to us. Here, I believe that Paul delivers an oration to these leaders like a message that he has provided to them and to the church repeatedly over the time that he spent with them. And it's a message that is uh, very similar to the letters that he's written that we're going to read in the New Testament. So this read beginning in the second part of 18 through 21. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house and teaching, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This message I'm sure they've heard over and over, but he feels a need to reiterate. His passion, his desire is for the church. He's compassionate toward a broken people, and he served them, it says, with all humility and with tears indicating how deeply Paul was connected to them. It was evidenced through the ministry that he provided to them every day. It wasn't a job or a task list that he just checked off. It wasn't one of those humanitarian events that were done without God in mind. Paul did this. He taught them everything it says that was profitable. In every location, that Paul could possibly do it. He didn't shrink back from doing his job. Paul cared about the souls of the Jews and the Gentiles alike, and that is an important point. He provided an example to live by and a message that provides life eternal. This is a neat headset. Excuse me. And the fact that he provided that message showed how deeply he cared for the people. If we go to Romans 15, 15 through 19, we read, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service to the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, 
I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring to the Gentiles obedience by word and deed. Paul lived out this life in community with the people. He developed very strong relationships with Jews and Gentiles alike. And he did so, it says, facing trials. The same or similar trials, I'm sure, he poured out against the church, if you remember, back in Acts chapter 7 and, and Acts chapter 8. So, and it says that he did so in all humility. For me, that is a key point of this text. It's significant, and it comes with a, a history that should resonate in the background as you read the text. See, Paul spends three of his five years on this missionary journey in one place in Ephesus with a people that Paul really didn't belong with. See, Paul was in close relationship with Gentiles. And from what I read, they're pretty dirty. They're people that he actually shouldn't be around. Going back only 11 chapters earlier, Paul gives his life for the sake of the gospel. He gives his life to Christ. He's converted. 13 chapters earlier, though, we see Paul enter the scene as a nemesis to the church. Though Paul actually didn't think he was opposing God, but he was. History lesson on Paul's answer so those uh, sheds some light. See, his ancestors rejected God as king. This is back around 1050 BC. And shortly, this slope starts going down pretty rapidly where they reject God as God. Then they begin following all the small g gods. And it's after hundreds of years of this rebellion and this repeated rejection of God that Israel goes into exile. They lose their temple. They lose their reasonable ability to pursue God in any form like this. Going back to Paul, Paul is a, uh, is a Pharisee. He is a purist of the faith. He studied under one of the greatest rabbis or rabban of the Jewish faith, and which tells me that Paul is very much cemented in his faith. He studied to ensure that he and others would avoid the same sins that his ancestors behind him fell into. But here we have humble Paul, not the zealous persecutor of the way, but we have Paul, the zealous follower of Jesus Christ. He had everything to boast about. Scripture says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the seed of Abraham. He was of the stock of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a man who could boast of his bloodline, of his pedigree. But here we have humble Pi Paul, 
because he came face to face with the Lord who transcends everything that he thought was right, everything he thought was good, and everything that Paul thought was true. It reminds me of a scene in one of my favorite passages in Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision, and he says, in the king that, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what, you skip a few verses down, and what does it say that Isaiah's response is? Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am done. And it's not just woe, it's woe. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live with a people with unclean lips. And I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, faced with God, Isaiah comes to a place where he realizes who he is. And faced with God, Paul comes to a place that he realizes who he is. And Paul is left to do nothing but be humbled and realize his plan is not the plan. So here, that's how we get to this place in Scripture. That's how we come to humble Paul, who is serving amongst people that Paul shouldn't have been serving with in the first place. So after spending three years building real deep relationships with them, he parts, reminding them of his example. Why? It's not to boast, but it's a message that if you read it, it says, live like this, serve like this, and suffer like this. Why? For the sake of the gospel. It's the only thing worth living for. And Paul's message is clear. It's not I, the person to follow. It's I, an example that you to live by. See, Paul realizes that uh, there are those leaders out there. Actually, he warns them here shortly. But those leaders that lead hoping that others will follow them. That's not what Paul wants. Paul wants them to follow the Lord. Paul's passion and love provides an example to these people, an example that extends to us today. It was developed over time, and Paul used that time very precisely. He used that time to love them, to be compassionate about them. He lived it out consistently, loving all these people along the way. Let's go to verse 22. It says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course of the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. 
Next, Paul tells them that he is constrained or bound in the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is deho, which means to be bound or knit or tie or wound very closely together. Paul is bound to the Holy Spirit. He follows the Holy Spirit very closely. When it moves, he moves. And Paul, as we see, is bound very closely to the ministry that has been placed in his lap. He has a strong sense of direction, compelled to go from one place to another by the Spirit. It's something that he demonstrates repeatedly in his ministry, in his walk of faith. Earlier, we see, I believe it was in chapter 16, that he was advised not to go to Asia by the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He didn't go to Asia. Now he's being advised to go to Jerusalem. And what is he doing? He's going there strategically. But he's also told that in every city, imprisonment and affliction await him. But he says that he does not account on his own behalf that his life is of value or worth to himself. So when he hears this from the Holy Spirit, the message is not distressing for him. And those aren't just words. Remember, Paul is strategically heading toward Jerusalem where this stuff awaits him. He skips Ephesus. For many of us, if we're warned that trouble lies ahead, I would have probably stopped in Ephesus, had a seat, had a meal. The next neighbor comes and asks, hey, we want to say our goodbyes. Great. It would be the longest goodbye ever. And I'd have a lot of good meals, put on some good weight, and I'd be skipping the trouble that lies ahead. That's, I think, what a lot of us would, might do. But Paul, he's embracing the direction that the Holy Spirit has from him, and he is marching forward. He simply wants to finish the course of ministry given to him by the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. If we go to 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, it says, And I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And now, not only to me, but also to all of those who loved his appearing. See, that's where Paul's heart is. Paul demonstrates his care, his compassion, his love as he presses on, as he delivers the word over and over. And behind that receives persecution over and over. Yet Paul presses on. Paul goes from one city to the next, and it's almost like a comedy of errors that just keeps going because every time he goes into a city, what does he do? He goes into one synagogue 
And from there, he receives his daily dose of persecution and he heads out, shakes the dust off of his feet, and he goes to preach to the Gentiles. I wonder, is Paul missing something? I don't think he is. Actually, Paul gets it. I think in many cases, when we run from it, we're missing something. Let's read 25 through 31. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among our own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. I don't know if you read it like I do. Sometimes I have a twisted way of looking things. But in verse 26, I see a sorrowful goodbye coming mixed with, I am innocent of your blood. I think it's an interesting way of addressing them. And I found three possible ways of interpretation, one of which is right, and I think you'll pick that one out. But the first one, maybe I can hear you thinking, um, this is kind of like Pilate as he's uh, addressing the, the Jews. He's got Jesus beside him, and he has the basin that comes up, and he's washing his hands saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. I don't think it fits, but that's door A. B, what I basically see is, uh, son, you're 18 now. I'm no longer responsible for the stuff you get yourself into. I've taught you what's right and good. Now it's time for you to go out there, and any troubles you get into, you're responsible. Well, I think it's getting closer, but um, I just don't think that's the message. No, actually, I think it's Dorsey. Paul's telling them that from a a spiritual standpoint, he, as a living example, has provided the truth, no part spared, so that they could live lives for the Lord through Jesus Christ. That's the message I believe he's telling them. I think we get a little more insight if we go to Romans 15 again, the second part of the same chapter, 15, 22 through 26. It says, uh, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Remember, he tells them that his ministry is to the Gentiles. He has a place, an assignment, and that's where he's been. But now, since I no longer have any reason for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. 
and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So we see this path as he's heading off to Jerusalem. He's bringing money. He's got a place to go. He's got a goal. But what's important now that passage to take out is that with his intended plan, it also says that um, he feels that his responsibility, responsibility in the East to the churches has been done. He's done what God called him to do there. So he could departs Ephesus assured by the Holy Spirit that his work is done. He fe- no longer feels an obligation to lead these people down this spiritual walk of faith. He's done and he's off to the next assignment as directed by the Holy Spirit. Now the leaders and the people must walk in faith and the leaders are responsible for the believers to guide them down the road. Paul isn't given a basin by which he washes his hands and says, people, I'm innocent of your blood. What I see is that Paul is given a basin and he lays it at their feet and he washes their feet and encourages them. Encourages them to walk the walk of faith and lead other believers down that road to follow Christ. Then in verse 28, he gives a warning. Pay attention to what? He says, pay attention to yourself as overseers by the Holy Spirit and to the flock. I can just see Paul sitting down, and this is one of those get serious moments. As he goes eye to eye with them, and he says, don't you get it? There's fierce wolves lurking at the door. And actually, they're looking, lurking at the door of some of your hearts because there's even going to be leaders from amongst yourselves who are going to teach twisted things and have people seek to follow themselves. Paul gives them this fatherly advice because he cares that much and he desires like we desire for our kids to avoid the pitfalls. His love and his passion for them is so deep. He wants them to avoid the same pitfalls that he sees sitting at the door. And you know, it wouldn't be the first time in church history and it sure wouldn't be the last that that would happen. Paul's love and compassion for the church can be seen here. These are real threats. These leaders need to be aware and they need to shore up so that they protect their ministries and they protect the flock that has been entrusted to them by the Holy Spirit. In his letters to Timothy about 10 years later, 
it, it actually says that the, the false teachers have already come. It says that some have made a shipwreck of their faith, and others have been handed over to Satan. Yet still, he admonishes Timothy, who's currently with him, that he's to guard, guard the deposit, the people that have been entrusted to him. So he continues to encourage even when trouble lurks. Verse 32, we get to, and now, and we're going to finish it with you yourselves know. And now I commend you to God and to uh, the word of his grace, which is able to build up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul then tells them that he is handing them over to God's care. Not that God has not been caring for them up to this point, but what he's telling them that his job as a leader with them is done. That God's word is all they need. And that, within that, is where they're going to find their inheritance. So he tells these leaders to take care of the flock, the church, and that is where they are going to find their final reward. He tells them that you're in final that his final inheritance and theirs is received by those who are in God, who belong to God, and that's a central point. My inheritance is in the Lord. It is definitely not in silver or gold. And Paul worked to support his team and to provide that very example to every one of them. It's a further support that he says, don't focus on these things. Then verses 36 through 38, it says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul, as a leader, provided a huge impact, an example that projects forward to the church today and through the years of the church has led others to be those examples and to be those leaders that nurtured, that exhorted the body to become followers of Christ that were doing, each one doing its part. There's many leaders right here amongst us today, many of them, who uh, do that same thing. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for each one of you. But there's more of us in here that have a job to do. It's time to stand up 
and take hold of that responsibility that the Holy Spirit wants us to grab onto and to press forward. We've got leaders who've left us, like Lee Barton and Bud Burke, who were called to go to other ministries. And I miss both of them and others dearly. But you know what? Maybe the Lord uses that to set the fire under more of us so that we can step up and take our place in the line of leaders. There's others like Bill Dalton and many others that are with the Lord today and who have their legacy is left on the church on their styles of leadership and the things that they did and the things that they saw as important and the way they served the Lord with passion, the goodbyes for them are sorrowful for all of us that are left behind. But we have to look at those leaders as we look at Paul and say there are examples that I need to take from that and that I need to press on. And do it, as Scripture says, by deed and in truth. Paul was faced with the ultimate question for which he had to give an answer. The question is the same that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew. He tells them, who do you say that I am? Paul didn't get the question like that. His was a little different. But he was still forced to face that answer. Who do you say that I am? And when he figured out the answer, it changed his life completely. It turned everything upside down on its head. But the impact was so great that it impacts the church today. Paul lived out a life with an example to the church that extends to us today. He loved without borders. He was compassionate, provided encouragement, direction, exhortation, and love to the people, to the church, as an example for us to live by. This is what we're called to do. And my question, are we doing it? Sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I think that our calendars, our families, our friends, our houses, our money, our toys, our lives, our world, our world, our little, little worlds are more important than what he has called us to do. I think they are. Today, I think... There are a few groups in here 
I know there are people that still are searching out, is this real? Is this something I want? It feels good. It's great. And all this. Paul is one of the greatest examples in Scripture. Paul is one of the greatest examples in history that testifies that Christ came, that Christ died, and Christ was resurrected, that he died for the sins of all. He is an example that is in history. He's documented. If you're still searching out the answer, is it real? Is this something I want? Let me tell you, you don't have tomorrow. You have today. It's time to stop asking the question and by faith just come in relationship with Jesus Christ. And he'll take you down all those questions you have. Then there's the other group. Is your calendar, are your families, are all these other things more important than doing what God has called you to do? I know for many years that is true in my life, and there are certain days where that still holds true. But I know that over the past several years, the Lord has grabbed me and shaken me up. And he's told me, John, those things need to fall by the wayside. And he's still working on that. Is he doing the same to you? Are you doing, are you open to hear what the Holy Spirit has for you? And are you open to the ministry that he's called you to do? That's the question. If you don't know the Lord, today's that day. When we're done with worship, I'll be up here and there'll be, other, there'll be overseers up here to pray with you. Don't leave these doors today not knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you need prayer and you feel, I need to let go of some of these things in my life, same holds true. Come up, we'll pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the direction you give and the example through Paul. Lord, help us to live out our lives, to have ears that are open, hearts that are open, to serve as you call us to serve. Convict us today. Drive us forward to be that church that's on fire, that are warriors that march out seeking to take strongholds in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that right now in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.